Hello everybody. How are you? Welcome back to an episode of a Brian Schaefer story. So we managed to once again tune into the series, focusing on Brian's disappearance. And boy, aren't we glad you're doing just that. Thank you especially if you've been following since the beginning. And cheers to those of you who are new. I've noticed that some people jump from first to last. So chances are that this is the second or even the first step you listen to. In that case, I'm Edo, from Sweden, and kind of devoted to this uh, missing persons case. As it happens to be, Sweden of all places is an official spot where a tip about Brian's whereabouts was called in to the Columbus investigators. I've tried to dig more into what all of this entailed. I emailed CPD early on and asked them if they could disclose some rudimentary info on this, and if I could have been in any assistance since I'm over here. But I didn't get a reply. I also got in touch with Kelly Bruce from the Brian Schaefer Dead or Live pod about it, if she knew anything else. She didn't have too much to add, other than that she herself had seen a post somewhere that a person from Sweden wrote that Brian had been a doctor over here. I think this tip was followed up though from CPD's part, but uh, probably led nowhere, like the more local tips handed in for that matter. The reason of pursuing this case, if you're wondering, is unclear to me as well, actually, because I'm kind of an ordinary dude with basically no greater prior knowledge in true crime or in the genre with disappearances. But uh, learning about Brian's case, the degree of obsession it caused, it's, it's hard to explain. The only way to release some steam off of it and at the same time share the totality of what I gathered was uh, through this podcast medium. And this podcast series was only released after doing a series on Brian in my own language first. With that on-thought experience, I launched myself over the continent with the Brian Schaefer story. Had I been residing in the States, or Ohio even, I'm pretty sure that the content would have reflected that. There's a ton of stuff you could have done, but uh, I gotta go with what I can scramble off from here. And staying long haul has always been the plan. I've never regarded this as a fad to move on from. It's this disappearance that caught me totally off guard and it got my full attention from day one. But wisely, sometimes I'm stuck. Look to others for inspiration. And others are the other unfortunate individuals who have disappeared. Their own story can narrow down or broaden even possible outcomes to determine what ultimately happened to Brian Schaefer himself. And that path cannot be dismissed. And I've always been invested in mysteries anyways, as far as I can remember. And I don't mind combining the two. Tell me something more mysterious than this disappearance. Well, possibly this. Well, Prince, of course. No, but seriously. But, oh boy, does it get any easier. Even though I feel like I covered some extra ground in various ways doing this, it doesn't really get any easier determining anything. Possibly deducing some alternatives. At best. When you think the lead detective stumbled to find own words when asked if Brian is dead or alive, 
in the interview after the release of the sketch. It really sort of hits you that the person who has the most information about this case is as clueless as the rest of us. If not even more, as Jordan said in my discussion with him. So the question then arises, is more knowledge of this case relevant to bring about and forward answers on what actually happened that night? I've really spent a lot of time digging into health-related issues lately. It's been a smaller obsession, I must admit. So going back to the question, let's put it in this way. Is a random doctor, let's say, who gets sick with any type of disease better off because he or she knows exactly what's happening inside their body while sick? Is it a blessing or a curse? There will be benefits, of course, such as identifying the symptoms earlier and easier to determine what's at play, understanding the relative length of the illness and if there might be any severe complications. If the treatment and remedy is viable, scientific and follows customary practice. Depending on various situations, however, there will be instances where the sick doctor's knowledge won't impact on the outcome. Because time, nature or higher powers, if you choose, will have it their way. So vast and superior knowledge of a particular situation might be a benefit, but ultimately the circumstances as a whole decide. With this disappearance, the circumstances presented are as such that it's almost impossible to determine what's at play. The knowledgeable lead detective said to the aforementioned Kelly on her pod, I don't do opinions. Another way of saying that the sole guidance from evidence collection and empirical data is the determining factor. However, in retrospect, the scientific approach adopted by CPD has not yet though yielded any type of cure or treatment to this infectious disappearance or expressed possible credible intermediary conclusions even. The narrative is still this maddening, incomprehensible situation. A guy went into a bar and then vanished forever. We're at the hands of the Lord, so to speak, on this one. Are we all supposed to raise hands and ask for divine intervention to get some answers? So, whether we like it or not, full or first-hand scientific or evidence-based knowledge of this whole ordeal has yet to reveal something of value, or even more remotely, provide any solutions. So why is that? What's so bewildering that investigators don't know left from right on this one? Of course, one might argue that the scientific path chosen to screen off the gateway building from the investigation after two days of searching, Brian's last known location to this day, and spending nearly a decade looking for Brian outside the premise only confused the situation more for the investigators involved, both on a professional but also on a personal level for them. It seems the only concrete thing that surfaced is that they've only managed to widen the gap between fiction and reality even more. Can the lack of evidence gathered entail you'll be looking in the wrong direction? So even if knowledgeable, 98% horseback knowledge of investigating the outside is something happened on the inside, for instance. And 98% knowledge of the outside doesn't go a long ways anyways if you factor in a geographically unrestricted area where Brian could be anywhere. Let's for everyone's sake go back to the basics. You can't look all over the planet for Brian. For those of you who are new, you'll get a clearer picture. And if you've been following all along, at least you know I haven't derailed entirely over these past few months. For illustrative purposes, I've decided to call this episode The Two Squares.
So let's start with some meaningful words at first. Rational and logical. If someone would ask you, what does rational or logical mean? Are they the same thing? Rational implies the ability to reason logically, as by drawing practical conclusions, and often connotes the absence of emotionalism. Logical implies that something is reasonable and based on good judgment. So if being rational is the fostering deed, the action itself, then logical is the assumed measurement, the verifiable, reasonable consequence. Something rational, if you are in a hurry, for example, is to walk the shortest way home. And something logical would be that choosing the fastest way home would save you the greatest amount of time. They are interconnected, of course, and stem from the same type of reasoning. But let's try to apply them in various situations throughout this episode. So when you think of Brian and his case, what images from that night are you portraying in your head to be able to discern what happened? In episode 9, I tried to suggest that Brian making it out was as likely as remaining trapped inside. As different perspectives, there are convincing reasons to advocate for either scenario. Brian wasn't seen leaving, but hasn't been found inside a building either. A rational person in my own view cannot conclude that Brian absolutely left the building and the same person must leave the door open to the fact that Brian could have made it out at night. Beware though that the likelihood that Brian left by any conventional exit or means that night is close to zero. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's get into the two squares then. Even though the layout of the building that housed the bar is more known than prior, and we got a pretty well laid out idea of what happened prior to 2am, there's still some confusion on the moment Brian was there and then wasn't. And of course the big question, what transpired after that? To better illustrate this, we can summarize the whole ordeal by drawing two squares. Square one is the main gateway entrance, the escalators, the ugly tomb and the foyer. Square two would indicate the rest of the building by the back and eventually the outside. The first time around when Brian and his buddy Clint visited the gateway building at 9am, they stayed solely in square one. They came and left by the escalators. This has been harder to verify than it sounds though, but as far as we know, Brian was caught on video coming and going off the escalators that first visit. The second time around, we have to ponder that basically two or three things were different. The night out was in its final phase. The bar was closing in 45 minutes at 2am. Brian had, along with Clint for that matter, consumed considerably more alcohol than the first visit. And, this time, Meredith tagged along. So, in this eventless first visit, the lads stayed in square one, and then continued partying on elsewhere. When they came back at 1.15, they were recorded arriving, and having spent the better 45 minutes, Brian decides to step out of the bar to mingle with the two students, Amber and Brighton were about to leave. This is by 1.55, and at 1.59 the girls had down the escalators, with Brian still upstairs on this foyer outside the bar. At exactly 2 a.m., Clint was picked up by CCTV, standing next to Meredith on their way down the same escalators. When they head out the bar themselves, Brian was already gone. This is where it gets confusing for the many who have followed this case from the horizon, but are opinionated of what happened nonetheless. Now, to explain the situation and fast forward the story, a bunch of exits pop up. 
service exits, fire exits, emergency exits, service elevators are added at free will and entirely at random. Spiced up with some added faltering cameras along the route, non-attentive security staff behind the screen, and detectives missing that Brian took a ride in front of their eyes without them seeing that. The issue is that this fast-forwarding of facts, or hesitation to research the actual proper layout, creates an entirely manufactured alternative to suit the set of one's objective ideas. Those fictional layers only create further confusion, without bringing us closer to the true answer. So what am I saying? That Brian didn't make it out at night. Hold your horses. No, far from that. We're not even close there yet. So the situation with Brian vanishing, which really was leaving that foyer outside the bar before he vaporized, hasn't occurred yet. There's still less than a minute before Clint is about to exit with Meredith after the students set down those escalators. So that minute is crucial to the saga. Multiple factors are at play here. This will be the moment when Brian single-handedly decides to abandon square one and enter square two. And semantically, in square two, he still remains. Had Brian wanted to stay put together with his comrades at night, he would have waited for Clint and Meredith on the foyer, or preceded them by taking the escalators down. The rational thing would have been to just do that, leave the same way as you entered, like the first time around. Logically speaking, it's sort of the same animal. Brian wouldn't have saved time exiting by leaving square one. For Brian, however, in his mind, there must have been a reason to do just that. In retrospect, we know that square two meant trouble. I'm pretty sure that he would have had a different take on his whole case had Brian chose to exit from square one. Or things could have been investigated from a more feasible perspective. This wouldn't have been the Brian Schaefer saga as we have come to know it. So how did Brian go about to enter square two? The transition in between the two squares was actually a portal. Not like the kind in science fiction movies, however, but carpented from laborers and made of the usual plywood. This four wall was built to screen off the construction that was going on in practically all of square two. Upon entering this portal, an elevator was ready to take you downstairs to a trash area and a back exit. The same route was used by the band. They exited out of the building in this fashion, along with friends and fans. A group estimated to be 20-30 people large. A few employees of the Aglitona Saluna, who were instructed to take out the trash after the bar had closed, also used this portal. So why did Brian opt to go through this portal and into square two? We reiterated that he wasn't coerced to do so but he did so of his own free will and choice. So, the reason then. Ditch Clinton Meredith. Instinctively, it would have made more sense to just head down those escalators in the first place before they came out of the bar to ditch them. But we do have additional facts. Meredith gave Brian a call at 2.01. Brian's phone was already out of service by then. Even if scavenging the building could have meant a lost cell phone signal, it's fair to assume that Brian turned his phone off the same instance he entered this portal, which gives more leverage to the idea that the indirect purpose of exiting this way was at least that Brian must have calculated that this meant ditching his bodies. But reportedly connection to Brian's phone was lost in its entirety at 2.11, so the hiccup at 2.01 could have been a momentaneous lost signal after all. Did Brian enter the portal to run away and abandon his whole life to start anew somewhere? 
If we stay put at this stage of the ordeal, within that minute, before they enter the portal, it would have been more rational and logical to head out from the bar from square one. The portal, although present the 1st of April 2006, was a temporary setup and shielded visitors from this part of the building from both the bar and the movie theater. It's fair to assume that Brian had no prior knowledge to this restricted area prior to that night. Thus, exiting from square two would only cause a delay to this mission if he had wanted to vanish. Hence, a primary exploration tour of the gateway building really seems illogical. If you might dwell on the fact that Brian entered this portal to leave unseen, it seems illogical too, as Brian could have chosen to hit it voluntarily at any time. Relatively speaking, minutes, hours, days prior to 2 a.m. that night. And Brian seemed totally unconcerned by the fact he was picked up by CCTV shortly before entering the portal. If we stay focused on what happened on the foyer just moments earlier, Brian was seen talking with the two students. To an extent, Brian had been seriously flirtatious with one of the students. Perhaps it's a fair assessment to suggest that Brian felt somewhat ungratified by their sudden bold departure. If you recall the part in episode 13 where I mentioned the lady who walks up the escalators prior to 2am and heads directly towards this portal, then this can be included as a valid reason for Brian to remove himself from square one and enter square two to pursue this dally mode of his further. As it was the 1st of April, could Brian have wanted to stunt and prank his buddies this way? Did he go down his route to try to circumvent the two students who were heading to the parking garage? The only major rational road left is to conclude that Brian, at this stage, headed out the foyer and entered the new scene to follow the trail of the band members and their fans and friends who had seen use this as an alternative way out. And in one way, this follows suit with the sort of remnant hint that Brian himself may left for us to dwell on. Namely, it is reported that both Clint and Meredith said that Brian had walked up to them after re-entering the bar and told them that he was going to talk to the band. Now, these two lines have been granted a status as facts almost in Brian Schaefer's case. Although in reality, they are somewhat contradictory and slightly misinterpreted. Contradictory because although we wish, Brian wasn't superhuman. In that less than a deadbeat minute, there wouldn't have been enough time for Brian to re-enter the bar, approach and go talk to Clint and re-exit once again. It's more likely they got the timeline wrong than Brian beating the law of relativity. This statement implies that Brian would have approached Clint the same instance Clint was looking for him, while simultaneously stepping out of the bar. If this claim hadn't been corroborated by Meredith in the first place, then one could have said that Clint could have been up to producing alibis. But with Meredith nodding along to all of this, it is by the highest probability so that Brian told them he was going to talk to the band just before he stepped out of the bar and appeared on that foyer camera at 1.55. And a slight misinterpretation was that Brian actually said to them he was going to the stage area. Hence, getting there to the stage and noticing firsthand that the band were on their way out, he began reaping new covert plans, this time without telling his buddies. Their reaction by Brian being gone tells us they weren't invigorated to his new intentions. He stepped outside Aglituna, but lingered four more minutes outside the bar when he saw the newly acquainted female students until they left. And then Brian entered the portal. So here comes square two.
a large uh, chunk of that damn uh, gateway building where all of this occurred with Brian was on the 1st of April still under construction. Square one was completed and open to the public. Square two was still in this post-structural construction mode. But depending on who you ask, the degree of construction left the complete interior of the building varies. The foundation was largely set, except for an elevator shaft that was being set up. But there seems to have been dug up ground on large portions of the flooring nonetheless. Interior, inner walling and boarding to separate various space to house businesses was underway. Plumbing, electrical wiring, ventilation shaft were in various phases. In some areas inside, it must have been a veritable mess in this regard. Combined with the presence of tools, machinery, floorboards, plasterboards, and more that laid scattered all over the place, this was not a spot suitable for traversing and roaming around in for anyone that wasn't inaugurated in construction with the protective gear, especially not in absence of light. Obviously, the campus partner joint venture, which led the construction effort at the time, had set up various barriers to prohibit unauthorized individuals to trespass. However, as the portal between square one and two was the barrier in itself, it meant that whomever had crossed into square two unauthorized was in risk of potentially ending up in this messy, but also potentially hazardous construction area. As there were various completed utility zones on this lower floor, among them a garbage compactor and a trash area, and a proper back exit to the rear of the gateway building, a safe path to traverse this exit towards the service elevator and the bar was in place, a hallway, an A to B. It's fair to assume no one was in any mortal danger by staying on this path, walking back and forth. As the band members and staff at Agletona Saluna did this, and countless others for that matter. The rational and logical during this construction process would have been to stay on this path to complete this A to B. Two other barriers that pertain to this story had also been set up and are of importance. The two construction area exits. These gates, plywood doors, restricted access from the exterior to prevent people from going in and were marked with a no public access sign. As we have learned throughout the series, they were the only possible exits from within the construction area to the outside. Hence, if you find yourself in square two on the ground floor of the gateway building the 1st of April 2006, the only way out was the safe path leading to the back exit or one of the two construction area exits. The lead detective in Brian Schaefer's case described in 2018 that the safe path through square two towards the back exit, this hallway, was monitored by a CCTV camera and that the back exit itself also had a camera of its own. He also revealed that the band and all the other people were picked up by either of these cameras. Everyone except for Brian Schaefer. He went on to comment later that the basic indication CPD had all these years later is that Brian somehow entered the construction area and most likely got exited out from there. Indirect meaning of this must imply the exit by the Sunflower Market opposite of Wendy's restaurant, which was the only exit that led to an entirely different area outside the main gateway complex, and was monitored by CCTV. So why did Brian end up in the Square 2 construction area in the first place? Did something inside Square 2 cause a deviation from reasonable and rational? The rational and logical would have meant a safe and timely journey through that hallway, 
an out-of-the-back exit. A hassle-free A to B. In a perfect world, this minimizes the fact that Brian voluntarily entered the construction area. It doesn't seem either that Brian was forced or coerced to enter the construction area from another party, as the investigations amongst the above hasn't revealed potential assailants or a foul play scenario inside the building. The only stern left unturned is spelled accidental. Due to the confusion of being intoxicated amongst else, Brian accidentally happened to find himself in his construction area. We don't know if anyone has calculated the time it would have taken to get yourself from A to B when entering square two. The band and the others connected to them used this part of the building as a gateway necessary to remove themselves from the premise. There would have been no point in staying around or venture off to other areas. But if time passing is an indication of what transpired, Brian's phone losing the signal completely at 2.11 could indicate that after he turned his phone off at 2.01 or momentarily lost its signal, 10 minutes later the phone had lost all connection. Potentially, thus, something happened inside the construction area that could have caused this. An accident so bad that incapacitated both Brian and his phone. Subsequent searches inside the building yielded no results as to Brian's whereabouts. Hence the plausible conclusion. Brian must have gotten exited out of there. The investigation moved outdoors. Basically, a third square was added. Michigan, Texas, the US Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and even Sweden. Basically, planet Earth. So here we are, all these years later, and still without a clue what happened. Exhausted and wavering detectives who failed to forward any kind of answers. And no trace of Brian or what might have happened to him. The most rational and logical, in my view, without pretending that's what happened, has been that something transpired, most probably accidental, while Brian Schaefer was present in square two and tried to make his way out. The setting in which this occurred made it unreasonable at the time for investigators to keep pushing this alternative back in the past without nothing discovered from a search inside. And they were partly comforted by the fact that had this scenario occurred, third-party involvement would have alerted or triggered a clue to surface. There are more cases than we are aware of where the same set of events have played out though, and missing persons have been found and located where you least expect them to. To their credit, CPD put immense resources in trying to fight Brian, and acted resolutely early on. The lead detective holds Brian's unsolved case as his decade-long major career remorse. It boils down to detectives acting in a professional manner, and following a set of proven conventional methods and ideas to solve a problem. When this conventional process falls short of providing any answers, there aren't any rational paths left to continue forward. Only odd circumstances with no explanation. However unconventional and bizarre it may seem that Brian Schaefer may still be in that building, sometimes trying to make sense of it all doesn't provide you with a solution. Because people, nonetheless, can be put in a lot of stress and pressure. Like a med student who had to deal with crucial exams a few weeks after his own mother had passed away from an incurable disease. With the whole night out mixed with alcohol, an argument with a buddy in a bar, and a misfortune with some hot students of opposite gender who just leave you there standing alone, something in him could have snapped. Because if we backtrack to that minute before Brian entered the thick wall 
to get into square two in the first place. It can also be indicative that Brian felt he had lost it. If no rational explanation can give sense to why Brian took off, that portal for him became his chance of getting away from it all. His erratic state, privologic, the construction area became as reversible as any other path. Brian could have gotten out of the building at night. In fact, it loses some of its relevance. Because one way of putting it is that Brian saw nothing more than a dark painted square that night. And that square could have extended a fair distance away from the gateway complex as well. This erratic mode continued until Brian met or did something that stopped him right in his tracks. Understanding the acting upon these life-altering instincts are hard to comprehend in a present-day rational mode. But there is knowledge to be gathered out there, which might clear the picture a little bit more. It's important to continue investigating with whatever means at hand. And the next episodes hopefully give us more insights to all of this. Thank you for listening, rating and following the series on Instagram. Share this series to others and stay committed. See you in the next one with people. Bye.